0: Good morning again everybody. If you've got your Bibles, let's jump straight into 1 Timothy chapter 5. We've uh, taken a break through this book. We started out last year. If you are new to Sterling and you uh, visiting with us today, we've been journeying through the book of 1 Timothy. It's a letter written uh, by Paul to a young pastor. His name's Timothy and uh, the point of the, of the letter written to him was to um, instruct him on how to uh, hang a plumb line for the church, um, how to lay down solid foundations that were level so that when they built the church, um, the the theology of the church and how they did church would be be strong and it would set the church up for um, some good future ahead. So Paul had written to Timothy and he had told Timothy things like, uh, this is the kind of leaders you need to look for, this is how leaders operate in the church, Uh, this is what false doctrine looks like, be careful of it, this is what true doctrine looks like, teach it. Uh, This is how men need to act in worship. This is how women should act in worship. Um, And today he he moves on and uh, he's talking about how the family, how the church should be acting as a family. And so uh, this morning we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 5. And uh, in these 16 verses that Paul starts out, we answer the question how we uh, care for one another um, as a family. So as the the church is, is seen as a family, how do we care Uh, for one another. So let's just jump straight in and uh, we'll go to uh, verse one. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the words will be behind me on the screen. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Young men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So he's assuming something here. He's Paul is assuming that within the family of church, we're going to be corrected from time to time. We're going to make mistakes. Those who are older are going to make mistakes. Those who are younger are going to make mistakes. And when we correct and rebuke each other, there's a way that we do it. Right? So for those who are older, um, we will, they will be rebuked as parents. For those who are younger, as brothers. Notice he doesn't say at all when you correct a younger person, correct them like you would correct a child. Did you notice that? So, so in the family, there's no... Um, th- th- we come to the cross on an even foot over here. So I don't get to correct people and go, oh, you know, you're just a kid. No, no. The lowest you go is we see each other as brothers and sisters. Those are the ones who are younger than you because they are brothers and sisters. Those who are older, we treat them as parents. Those who are one day younger than you, you see them as brothers and sisters. Those who are one day older than you, we treat them as parents. Then Paul goes on. Honor widows who are truly widows. He's talking about how we're going to care now for those who are needy. Honor widows who are truly widows. So there are widows who are not truly widows in this sense. And Paul's going to go on and talk about that. All right? Both both ladies have lost husbands, and we can also say, we, we can read this as widowers as well. We can read this as men who've lost wives and women who've lost husbands, but they're specifically speaking about widows in this sense, because ladies in the Bible times, once they'd lost their husbands, there was it was almost assured that there was no way that they could, could generate income after that. They, they did not have professions. They ladies in Bible times got money from their husbands. Their husbands worked. They had a trade. And so ladies were cared for by their husbands. When your husband dies, there's nothing. There was no RA. There was no discovery life. There was no sunlum retirement annuity. There was nothing. All right. And so ladies could not work. And so what often happened when a lady lost her husband it is she would end up doing what the only thing she could do to get an income, and many ladies resorted to prostitution to try and get an income. So, Paul says, Honor widows who are truly widows. Right? So, remember that. It's going to come back to this again. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Essentially. You owe your parents. I asked Ian to keep my son in the service. He didn't. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I didn't. You owe your parents. Th- that's what the Bible says. You go, Matt, hang You don't understand my parents. My parents squandered everything. You don't understand. I've got a, a father. My mother passed away. My dad is an alcoholic. Whatever I give him, he's just going to drink it. You're telling me I have to look after him? I'm telling you the Bible says yes. The Bible actually says yes. In the same way that the Bible says wives... Respect your husbands. And wives might say, hang on, my husband's not respectable. Yeah, he might not be, but the Bible says respect him until he becomes respect worthy. Why? Because this honors God. Not your husband or you. It honors God. When you do those things, it honors God. When you care for your parents and when you look after your parents, it honors God. It's not about what great parents they were. They might have made many mistakes, unlike you. They might have made many mistakes, but you looking after your parents honors God. So Paul goes, this is, this is what godliness looks like. You look after your parents, but watch also grandparents. And That's rough. That's like you don't so you got two generations to look after ahead of you. Some of you who you don't your parents are not alive still yet, or that they're not alive, your grandparents are not alive. You're like, thank goodness I don't have to. You're looking down two generations that way. Well, here's what Proverbs says. It says it's that a righteous man. Provides not only for his children, but for his children's children. So just imagine this. There's five generations. The grandchildren are looking after their parents and also their grandparents. And then they are also making provision not only for their children, but also for their children's children. Can you see that in a society and a culture like that, no one has need? Can you see that? Because we're providing well for each other. The way you provide for your grandchildren is the way that they will be looking after you one day. So your retirement annuity is not offshore. It's, yeah. And I'm not saying that that's a bad idea. I think it's a very good idea. All right. Verse 5. She who is truly a widow, so Paul circles back to this. Here we go. He's going to explain now. Left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications, this is prayers, uh, praying and prayers night and day. So this is not, she only, doesn't only pray every day, but she's also part of the formal act of worship, okay? that. So when, you, when you're reading in an Acts, and, and even over here when it talks about she's involved in supplications and prayers, that, that, that word prayers also refers to what we do together. This would be considered prayers. It would be we gather together for prayers, okay? We sing some of those prayers. We speak some of those prayers. But this is what it is. So, so she's a woman who is known for praying and for gathering together night and day. But she who is self-indulgent, so there's one who's left alone and there's another one who isn't and is still gathering. She's self-indulgent, is dead even while she lives. It's quite an interesting thing, this. He's, he's kind of saying this. He's saying she's a widow, but in, her, um, in this phase of life that she's in, she's actually self-indulgent. She's taking from her children. She's taking from maybe her husband's estate. She's in a very well-off situation. But she's still milking the church. And Paul's going like, that is bad. Okay? That is, that is wrong. So he's, he's actually speaking against this. Verse 7 says, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Command these things. So you're commanding to the church, telling those who are listening— Telling the members, this is how to behave. There are things that you need to do. And this would be really good because it will help people in their walk with the Lord and in life. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, so if you think you're off the hook, and especially for members of his or her own household, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty rough, isn't it? I'm so glad I don't have to just say that, but it's actually in the Bible. And I'm glad that it's behind me so you can read it as well. I'm not making this up as I go. I mean, this is really rough, but I'm not winging this one. This is in the Bible. Now Paul goes on to explain what we should be looking for if we're going to take a widow and put her on the official list of widows. Now, before we get there, let me tell you what that meant. In the early church, there was an order of widows. All right, I told you that they couldn't work. So if you were, if you lived to a ripe old age of 52, no, if you lived on into your, into your, 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 uh, your sunlight, sunset years, and you lost your spouse, and here you are as a woman, you can't work, all right, how do you get an income? You don't know how you get an income. You love Christ. You love the church. What would often happen is those ladies would enter into the order of the widows. And there was something that they did. They looked after the church. They looked after pastoral matters in the church. They would be the ones who would visit the sick. And that wouldn't get everybody off the hook, but they would... They would spend their time visiting the sick, caring for those who were afflicted, looking after those women who had just come to faith, helping them to look after their children and be great wives and, 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 and operate really well and live well in the community. That's what this order of widows would do. And so Paul, when he's writing, he's talking about when you, like he spoke about setting aside men for eldership and men and women for deacons. He's now going to tell you what you should be looking for when you set aside the order of widows. Now, we don't have that order anymore. In, in our church and many churches, we don't have the order of widows anymore. The closest you could come to this, it, for us to kind of think about it, would be these women gave themselves wholly to the church. Their spouse was now seen as Christ. Do you see what that could look like? Do you know nuns? nuns who would enter into a convent and give their rest of their lives. This is kind of like what this was, right? Best way I can explain it, kind of like this. So now Paul is gonna tell them what you need to be looking for. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, 60. How many of you think 60 is young? See, it's those of you who are over 60. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. When you're over 40, 60 is young, right? When you're over 70, 60 is spring chicken, right? When you're 20, 60 is so far away, you think you're never going to get there. And so you go to bed carefree one night, and when you open your eyes the next day, you're 63. That's how quick life goes. Paul's saying this. He says, "If, if she's over 60, then you don't enroll her. Why? I mean, if she's under 60, why? Because when she got to 60, she couldn't work anymore. Below that, she might be able to get some kind of income. If we translate this back to where we are, probably easier for us to read this and say, if she is under the working age, don't enroll her in this thing. Okay? She should be able, if she can't provide for herself then you treat her like this group of widows that's that's what paul's saying has she been the wife of one husband he's not saying you know she was 20 when she got married her husband died tragically when she was 21 and she's basically been sitting there for 39 years Is that right? Yeah, 39, 39 years waiting to get onto the order of widows that's not what he's saying she could have lost her husband got married again lost that husband to death got married again What Paul is saying is this, when she was married, was she a faithful wife? That's what he's saying. Is this, when she was married, was she a faithful wife to one husband? Or was she well known to be a lady who just kind of did the rounds? Okay? And when we read this, we can actually flip it the other way as well. Because it's not only about women, but this can also be about men. And although we're speaking about those who've lost their loved ones, we can look at this and go, hang on, I should be living like this as well. It doesn't let us off the hook. This is how we should be living too. Verse 10 says, And having a reputation for, she must have a reputation of good works. He's going to circle back to this as well. If she's brought up children and shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints and cared for the afflicted, and he circles back to good works and has devoted herself to every good work. So not just a reputation of doing good things, but a reputation of devoting yourself to, setting yourself aside for good works, looking for things to do. That's what she must be like. Does that mean that you can write off the widow who doesn't have children because he says she must have raised children, so, so therefore if you don't have children, do we, do we write, write her off? No, no, because he's not only talking about those who did have children. He's talking about also those who cared for children because in this time, what would happen if it is People were so sexually promiscuous in this time, it was kind of known as one of the the worst seasons in terms of sexual promiscuity that the world has ever seen this time that, that Paul's writing to over here. So those who say sexual promiscuity is a new thing, no, it's not. It was worse during this time. What would happen is a woman would get pregnant. She would not know who the father is. She would take that child when it was born. She'd knock on the door of the man who she thought he was the father. This is the paternity test. She puts the baby down on the stairs. The man opens the door... And looks down on the stairs, sees her standing there. He's wondering, how do I know you? Doesn't know. Sees the child. If he acknowledges that that child is his, he will bend down, stoop down, pick the child up. And then by doing that, he would be acknowledging it's his child. And he would take responsibility for paying for that child's upbringing and raising that child. If he goes, I don't know who you are. That's not my child. He goes inside and closes the door and ignores the child at which point she would also walk away and they would leave the child in the street. There would be those who walk through the streets looking for children that had been left at the doors of houses. And they would gather the children up and the boys would be taken to the gladiators arena. They would be raised to fight in the arena. And the girls, they would be taken to brothels. That's how it would work. You know what the church did? The church started walking in front of these people looking for children as well. And they would collect these children and start raising the children as their own. And these women who were widows and had capacity would take those children into their homes. And those families who didn't have children would take those into their homes as well. This is the modern day form of adoption. They would take these children and raise them as their own. And so Paul's not saying over here, he's, oh, you he know, didn't have any children. He's going, how did we care for those as well? Breath of life is a great ministry. This is what this is. Abandoned children taking them into homes. He's like, "Hey, how did how did she do? How did she do in in raising raising these children?" He says that she must have washed the feet of the of, of the saints and, and this it just means, "Hush, did she serve? Did she serve well? Did she serve the church? Did she serve believers well?" He then says this, but refuse. So he's spoken about this is what you look for. Now he's talking about this is what you need to keep these people out. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passion draws them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Remember that they've made a commitment and they've sworn on oath that they're now going to belong to Christ. Maybe she was 30 years old. She's sworn that her life would belong to Christ. Essentially, she's seen as one who is now married to Christ. But then she sees the worship leader. And she's just so taken aback by his ability to play the guitar. She falls in love with him. And and he falls in love with her. And he's like, she's not married. I'm not married. And they get to know each other. And before you know it, they're head over heels in love. And they want to be married. She has to break her oath to be married to Christ and she has to marry him. What Paul's interested in here is this. What is the reputation of the church? What is the reputation of believers over here? If you've made a vow, keep the vow. If you haven't made the vow, don't keep it. So if you're a young widow, don't make a vow like that. Let's keep the young woman out of this. I remember having a conversation with a young widow who had tragically lost her husband. It was a horrendous situation. And she said, Matt, I'm done with this. I'm not, I, there will never be anybody else again. I remember saying to her, you, know, I know you don't want to hear this now, but this is a season for grieving. That's what this is. There may come a day, one day, where God lavishes his grace on you and there's another man in your life. And I know that that's, this is not the time for that. But I want you to know God is the protector of the widow. We left it at that. A couple of years later, she met a wonderful man, got married, and has two wonderful kids. God has brought some newness into her life. And so God brings newness into lives. And Paul's saying, be careful. The other thing that he says is this. For these young ladies who've not reached a place of maturity, 60 was kind of agreed to be that place. In fact, Plato, uh, one of the philosophers of the ancient times, he said this. that, That a man or a woman should not even enter the priesthood if they're not over 60. Okay, Now, he wasn't a Christian, so thank goodness um, on that one. Otherwise, I'd be out of a job until, you know, at least for another 35 years. Uh, so, so the reason why 60 is because there was agreement in the ancient world, as there is today, that as you get older, you gain more wisdom. And as you gain more wisdom, you also become more secure in yourself. And so there are things you can deal with when you're 60 that you struggle to deal with when you're 40. Things that you can deal with when you're 40 that you struggle to deal with when you're 20. And so imagine if... Let's go for Plato. Let's imagine if those who were in ministry were all over 60 years old. And they brought with them the experience of life. And they brought with them this no need to really build up ego or pride wasn't. See, once you're at the end of that, you're kind of a bit more secure in who you are. So they tell me. Imagine how many church splits, arguments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, would cease if those who were in full-time ministry were on the other end of 60, it'd just be a whole lot more peace, I think. Imagine how us as younger guys would be equipped if those who are older were given an, a special place of training up the younger. Imagine that. So essentially, that's what Paul's saying of Aries, don't, don't, don't let her come in if she's, not, if she's not over that age. But watch what else he says as he starts to flesh this out. He says, besides that, They learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, which is what the order of widows did anyway. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So ladies, at this point, you may be getting really offended and you're like, that first verse you read about looking after, that was okay, but this, you crossed the line here, Francis. No, let me just say to you, he's not saying all women are like this. What he's saying is this, if you're young, and you start doing a job like this, you run the risk of becoming idle. If you're you're 35 years old, you have capacity, physical capacity, to do more than a 65-year-old. If you can only do what a 65-year-old can do when you're 35, if you can only do what a 65 can do, you're missing out on a whole lot. You should be much stronger physically. You should be able to do a whole lot more with your life and in your day than what a person at this level can do. But now you're spending all your time with these people. So you're going, my standard is what a 65-year-old can do. And he says, this, you learn to be lazy. That's it. Also, you're kind of thriving still on a bit of like, you know, getting uh, people around you going, oh, you're part of that order of widows. And that's just, that's amazing. You're like, yep, yep, I am. Let me tell you what happened this week. And you, before you can catch yourself, you're, you're talking about stuff and spreading gossip that you shouldn't be doing. And it's simply because maturity of life isn't there yet. So Paul's saying, I don't know if this is a good idea because this will put these ladies at risk. I don't want to put them at risk. For, for those who are coming onto eldership, you'll see later on in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says this. Don't be hasty with the laying on of hands. Same thing. Sometimes you can bring a person on as an elder and you actually put them at risk. They shouldn't be an elder yet, but you've made them an elder and, and now they're at risk. So Paul says, I would have younger widows marry. I want them to marry. I want them to bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. There it is again. I want, I want the church to have a good reputation. For some have already strayed off to Satan. If any believing widow, widow, sorry, woman, any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened. So that it may care for those who truly are widows. So the family looks after the family so that the church can look after those who don't have family. But if we're expecting church to look after everybody who's in need so that we can go play on our boats on the dam, I'm not saying that's you. If you have a boat on the dam, that's great. We're available next weekend. <laughs> what he's saying is this, he's if we own our own families and care for our own families, the church can care for more. That's what he's saying. I'm not preaching the sermon because we're getting tired of helping needy people. I'm not preaching the sermon because suddenly we don't have any money, and now we're like, oh, we've got to just stop people. So I just need to get the church to realize we're not helping anymore. You know, that's not what we're doing. God's Word is saying this, hey, we should look, for, look after our own families. So there's three things I want us to see over here, and we'll jump through these quite quickly. Here's number one. We need to be treating others with honor. We should be treating each other with honor. If you look at verses 1 and 2, it speaks about correction, and correction is expected, but correction is not only expected. The way we correct each other shows love and honor. Sometimes we correct each other there's no love and honor. God's Word saying, as Christians, what's different is, when we bring correction, there should be love and honor. You know, have you ever had it when your wife tells you, it's not what you said, it's how you said it? Wives, has your husband ever told you that? It's not what you said, it's how you said it? Yeah, silence like the previous services as well. No man says that to his wife. Do you know what, love? It's not what you said, it's how you said it. No guy says that to his wife. If you did, you're a brave man. (laughs) But you know that. I'm sure we've all been told that at some point or the other, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Correction is expected. We're expected to help each other when we're making mistakes. Matthew, 15, Matthew 18, verse 15 says this. When your brother sins against you, go and tell him. You must correct each other. We have to do that. But the way we do it is so important. Galatians says this. Bear with one another in each other's weaknesses. Bear with one another. Do this with gentleness. Correct a person with gentleness. Ephesians says is that we speak the truth in love. So easy to speak the truth, isn't it? But we need to add love on. I mean, I really want the truth. So much easier when it comes in the vehicle of love. It's so much easier. You get so much more out of it when you bring it like that. And so, so here it is. Treat each other with honor. Older men, you treat like fathers. And an older women, you treat like mothers. There's affection here. Do you remember the first time you had to bring correction to your parent? Every single one of us are going to get a chance to do this in our lives. It's not a great time. It's very hard. Do you remember how long it took you to do that? It took a long time to get there. You got to think about it and count your words. And What am I going to say? I don't want them to be offended. I need them to hear my heart. I need them to know I love them. I need them to know that what they're doing is dangerous to them. So you think about it. You count your words. You come with affection. You come with respect. You come with honor. The Bible says, all people older than you, that's how you bring correction to them. Everyone younger than you, like brothers or sisters. Brothers, there's brotherliness there. There's freedom of speech. You can say whatever you like to your brother. And he can say whatever he likes back to you. And there's tolerance and there's acceptance and you can say what you want and I'm going to say what I want. We share things together. The Bible says that's how we treat everyone who's below us. We treat them as brothers, all the men as brothers, all the women as sisters. There's respect with this one. And he also says with all purity, and this deals with an issue of lust. Do so you treat those women who are younger than you as you would treat your sister. You treat women older than you as your mother. When you're correcting, that's how you treat them. Do you remember, and I'm not saying, do you remember when you fought with your sister? If, you had a, if you're a guy and you fought with your sister, that's not what Paul's talking about. You know, you don't correct her by slamming the door. That's not, you did that to your sister at home when you were young. What Paul's saying is yeah, we do this with respect. We honor. We treat We treat women who are younger than us as if they're better because they are God's word says that treat them like the weaker sex. It doesn't mean that you are weaker. Treat them like they are like that. You open the door not because they can't open the door. You open the door because you're a gentleman. In an age where chivalry is dead, we need to learn how to treat women, younger women as sisters and older women as mothers. Second one that we see over here, he says, we are responsible for our family, especially the elderly and the widowed. There's a Dutch proverb that says this. It seems easier for one poor father to raise 10 rich sons than for 10 rich sons to care for one poor father. For some cultures represented over here today, that's the craziest thing ever. Why wouldn't we look after those who are older than us? Why would we not provide for our children? Some of you would say to me, Matt, if you only knew before I even see my salary, half my salary is off to to Zimbabwe, half my salary is off into the Transcar, half my salary is off to Limpopo to care for my family. I don't even see half of that I'm caring for my family. Are you telling me that there are people here who don't do that? Yes. That is what I'm telling you. We're in this culture and society where we ship off the elderly. So we don't have to deal with that and we can enjoy our lives. And perhaps it's because we've been taught to be so independent and we've become so independent that we don't need older people around us and we ship them off. Here's what God's word says. says, you you need to look after them. And if you don't, you don't look after your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Do you know why? Because you know that Jesus said, love one another. Unbelievers don't. You've seen the example of Jesus on the cross dying for humanity yet still making provision for his mother. You know that unbelievers don't. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. You know that God provides for you so you can help your parents. You know that unbelievers don't. Yet still there are unbelievers who care for their family. There are those who are not believers and they, they care for their family. So if they can do it and they don't know all of this stuff, you're worse than an unbeliever if you're not doing it. Friends, as believers, we've got to, we've got to understand here that there is a responsibility for us to care for our parents. We have to care for those who are in the family. Here's the key point. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16. If any believing woman or man has relatives who are widows or widowers, they cannot, they cannot um, get their own income, they're stuck without an income, let that person care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who really are in need, those who don't have family to help them. Those who are stuck on the, on the edges of society that everybody has forgotten. From this we see this, that the spouseless are important to God. Perhaps you're a widow, perhaps you're a widower. It is good to know this. Psalm 68 verse 5, God says, I'm the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. He is your protector. He said, I will be your protector He said, I will be your provider in Deuteronomy 14. I will be your provider. God had told these people, when you harvest the field, you don't go to the edge. You leave that. If you drop something out of your basket while you're harvesting, you don't pick it up. You leave it. So that the widow and the orphan and those who are traveling through your land and those people who live in your land who don't own land, the Levites, those who serve at the temple, they can come into your land and pick up what you dropped and pick up what you didn't harvest. So they can get food. And when you do come together and you bring your tithe to the Lord, you allow these people to come and enjoy the meal that everybody else is enjoying. So when that bag goes by on Sundays and you're putting into that bag, that's not just so that you can see a wall being painted. It's so that those who don't have can also enjoy what you enjoy and what we enjoy. He says, I'm your provider. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 5 God says that he will judge those who oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien. In the early church, there was a special place for those. We see God setting apart uh, men in in Acts chapter 6 to care for the widow. James later on will write, and he will say this, that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself Unstained from the world visit the widow careful that's that's pure religion you 're like man i'm re- I, you know i 'm serving christ i 'm a great Christian, yeah, yeah, this is what it says. you should be visiting the widow. The other thing is this is not only that the spouseless are important to God, but the elderly are important to God as well. How would we measure the elderly i really, i don 't know how we measure that in the world that we live in now it 's kind of like There's a place where you know you're an an, an older person. You're part of that group called the elderly. And then there's a place where you're not. But the middle place is kind of this gray, murky place where if you were alive in the times of Paul, many of us in this room would be considered elderly. You're over 60. Now, 60 is kind of, you're entering your prime of your life at 60. But there is a place where you just know I'm in that sunset stage of my life. And you're starting to look for meaning in other areas. When you were in your 20s, you were looking for meaning in trying to find a spouse. When you were in your 30s, it was find a house, settle down, raise kids. But now you're in that stage of life where you're going, let me look back and see, did my life have meaning? Have I got meaning left? Do people still need me? Here's what's important. The elderly are important to God. They are. If you're in that stage of life, you are important to God. You're important to us. God calls a man to come and take his people out of Egypt. He calls Moses. We see that the last 40 years of Moses' life, the last 40 years are the most powerful years of his life. God called him when he was 80. His most effective years, from 80 to 120 so I'm just if you're eighty, I just want you to know you're right at the beginning. Oh, you gotta you can be like Moses and have another forty left. Some of you are like, oh God please, no, I can't. It's just, my spirit is willing, but my body is weak. Caleb. Caleb was with Joshua when they went into the promised land to spout the land with the ten other fools. And those guys said, no, no, let's not go in. Caleb and Joshua, like, let's go. God judges them because the other guys don't want to go. The whole generation dies out. There's only two left from that generation, Joshua and Caleb. They're going into the promised land with this new generation, and this is what Caleb says to Joshua. He says, hey, Joshua, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day? No one else in this generation remembers because they're all dead. Do you remember that day? For you heard on that day how the Anakim, the giants, were there with great fortified cities. Can you see this picture? It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. He's 85 years old. And so Joshua says, go take it. And he does at 85 years old. The elderly are important to God. This is important for you to know. You are not forgotten. Your wisdom is needed. Your stories are needed. Your encouragement is needed. Your prayers are needed. Your caution is needed. You've seen more change than anyone younger than you. It might be that we like change, but you've seen change. Lots of it. Your caution is needed. And just as a younger generation is trying to figure out how to build a bridge to you, the challenge for you is going to be to build a bridge back, so that we can make sure that in this family of faith that we are together. Last one is this: If you are going to be supported in this family, if you're going to be supported by the church, then you need to be supportable. Here's the criteria that there's no spouse. Uh, that uh, in verse nine, there's no spouse not less than 60 or working age. Uh, you've been faithful to your spouse. You've been a faithful person. You have a reputation for good works, for devoting yourself to good works. You might say, geez, Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm 70 years old and I'm really struggling and I don't know if I have a reputation of good works. What do I do? All right, well, just start somewhere. Start somewhere. You're thinking to yourself, hey, what happens if when, when I'm 60, I don't have a job, I'm 30 now, 30 years time. What do I do? Do you want a good reputation? You start now. See, reputation doesn't come later. You start like we worked out last week. You start sowing seeds now, and then reputation comes. And God's word is saying over here, he says, do you have a good reputation? Have you brought up your children well? Do you show hospitality? Have you served the saints? Have you served the church? Have you cared for the afflicted? It's kind of saying this. As a church, we help whoever we can, but we need to have first priorities. First priority of those who, in the family of faith, cannot provide for themselves anymore. And it is our collective responsibility to care for them first. And if we're caring for our own families, and as a church we're caring for those, then we're able to care for more. But if we're not caring for our own family, if you're not looking after your parents, you're like, hey, the church will do it. The Bible says that there's a big warning for you. Because it means that if you're not helping your family, you're actually expecting the church to do double. Help your family and help others. You look after your family and then together we look after others. That's what, that's what God's word is painting a picture here God's word is painting a picture for those of you who are on the other side um, of, the gro- of the life curve. That your life has value still now. God's word is you, you still have something in you to give. There are young people who need your relationships. They need to hear your stories. Yes, some application as we close out. If you can work, God's word is saying you trust God that he will provide for you and you provide for yourself. The church should help those who have a faithful track record. If you can't work, you trust God and the church will help you. If you can't work and the church helps you, don't be idle. Get involved and serve the church. I hope as we leave here today that you're not leaving here going, oh my goodness, the church has been helping me. I don't fill some of these criteria. They're not going to help me anymore. That's not what we're doing. I hope that out of this over here today, you might not leave going, well, I'm useless. My prayer out of this is that perhaps some relationships could be healed here today. That there might be relationships between some of you and your parents, some of you and your children that could be healed. That we can pray and trust God to bring healing in those relationships. That if you are not caring for your parents, that today you would repent of that and you would make an effort to care for your parents. And so honor God. That's what I'm I'm hoping and praying today. I'm praying today that if you're part of the elderly in our church, you will know and that this will affirm that you are important and you are loved and we need your input. And you might feel sometimes that that the bridge from the church into the stage of life that you're in, if it's a, it might be full of potholes and a bit broken and we're not so sure where it is. But I want to assure you, it is there. And I want you to know that we want to walk across that bridge together. That's what I want you to know. This church is here because of the prayers that you prayed. Which means for the rest of us, where will this church be in the future because of the prayers we pray? Now let's pray and close out together. Father, as we close out this morning, We know, Lord, that um, there's not a person in this building who can look ahead and say, well, I'll never be there. Because one thing is certain, that if, we're, if we don't meet you in, in the years of our youth, we will meet you in the years of age. That we don't only go through the struggles of mid-adulthood and uh, mid-life but we go through those struggles right through until senior adulthood. And there will come a time where all of us wonder, did our lives have meaning? And so, Father, I pray that you would show yourself to those who are asking that question and that you would reveal the meaning that they have, especially in our church, those who have served for years, served you and honored you, and that you would help us to show care and love to them in a better way. For those, Lord, whose relationships with family are broken and uh, are struggling, God, I pray that you would give give them great power from your spirit. That there would be amazing grace and hearts that are changed. That there would be families reconciled. Children with parents and parents with children. And that we could be a different community who care for family the way you tell us to. For those, Father, who are caring for family and it's a massive faith step for them to do that god i just want to pray that you provide for them in jesus name so father as we leave thank you that uh, you are our great father who does not abandon us in jesus name amen